Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. You will find it at the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Kentrell. I'm your host. Welcome inside the Yellow Studio. We're winding down the month of October 2021. I'd say we're headed toward fall, but it sure hasn't felt that way. Been unseasonably warm here in North Central Texas. Hope life is well wherever you are and whenever you are. It's one of those uh, one of those formats where you can't be listening to it in the past, but you could be listening to it in the future. It's the magic of podcasting. I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll join the Facebook group. If you go to the website leaningtowardwisdom.com, click that Facebook icon, and it will take you right there. Ah, there's one or two, maybe three questions. You should already know the answers to those. Answer them. I'll open the door and I'll let you in and I'll let you stay there as long as you behave yourself. This is one of those free form shows. I used to do these. And I used to call them free form Friday because I would do them on Fridays. It's kind of go, go wherever thoughts take you. I don't do much of that. Not anymore. I kind of miss it. A lot of things have been on my mind lately, none of the least of which are the people that I've lost along the way. As you get older, it happens. And not that I'm old, old, but, well, I'm older than I've ever been, so there's that. I got to thinking about my lifelong best friend, and I was telling Rhonda, you realize next year it will have been a decade he will have been gone a decade next May. Hard to fathom. I've done shows about him before. I won't belabor it here, but uh, we had been best friends literally since birth. And uh, yeah, so there's that. It's pretty stinking amazing to think that almost. 10 years have passed since he did, uh, but such is life. I'm very thankful. Uh, one thing that brought it up was voicemails. Do you have voicemails on your phone that you can't delete voicemails from people that are no longer with us? What about contacts? 
How many deceased people do you have in your phone's contact list? Yeah, I don't know either. I've got them. I've got both. I've got both contacts and I've got voicemail messages that I just, I just, I can't bring myself to delete them. I have transferred them over to MP3 files and some of the, some of these voices are voices that I have in other, in other recordings and things. So it's not like, well, if I delete that, then I just, I will never hear the sound of their voice again, but I, I, I can't bring myself to delete them. And so that got me to thinking about Stanley, uh, my lifelong best friend. I'm fortunate in that he made a trip here, I think in 2010 and he sat here inside the yellow studio across from me. I've got two microphones, two boom arms. And, uh, so he was across the, we were directly across from each other and we recorded, he was here for three or four days and we were, we recorded quite a bit of stuff. Uh, most of it has never been out in the ether. Um, both of Stanley's parents have passed on, uh, Johnny, his father performed the ceremony and married Rhonda and I, it will be 44 years in January. Uh, but Johnny and Sally Stanley's parents, they both have passed on. Thankfully it was shortly after he passed that. I did make the recordings available to his parents. Uh, it was he and I just doing what we would always do. Chatting, visiting, cutting up, finishing each other's sentences and that kind of thing. But the recordings that you've got of the people that you care about that are no longer with us. I mean, how invaluable is that? You do know that that is the genesis. It was the genesis of the beginning of this podcast, Leaning Toward Wisdom. My kids were in high school when I started this. Yeah, that was a long, long time ago. And I was just doing it. I, I called it a hobby project, but more appropriately, I think I termed it a legacy project. And I didn't mean that in some highbrow sense of, Oh, look at my legacy. I'll leave this legacy. I meant it more in terms of just archiving, journaling. Very early on in the internet age, back in the mid nineties, when it dawned on me, you know, there's audio, there's audio online. And I had a little digital audio recorder and I remember putting some audio online. I think it was, it was either 96 or 97. Didn't know anything about making it subscribable. Didn't, didn't know anything about audio formats. It was whatever the funky Olympus digital format was or a Microsoft. It seems to me that it was a Microsoft format, but I could be wrong, but no matter it, it just, it did dawn on me with the age of digital recording coupled with the internet, you know, I mean, the documentation value could be really tremendous. I remember thinking about great grandparents that I really didn't know 
I knew both of my great grandmothers. I did not know either one of my great grandfathers. And I remember thinking, you know, I mean, what if, imagine this technology having existed 50 years ago, imagine it a hundred years ago and being able to listen to just ordinary folks. I mean, we've got newsreels of, of stuff that goes back, but imagine your family. Imagine them being able to, I don't know, just, just record stuff and you being able to click play and listen. I just thought that's just too stinking cool. That is just way too cool. It wasn't that I thought I had anything that was necessarily worthwhile. I thought, okay, one day when I'm dead, maybe the kids will listen. (laughs) And that's how it all got started. That's how the whole podcasting thing got started. I used to keep up with how many iterations of the podcast leaning toward wisdom had gone through, but I gave up. We've got to be on number five or six. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of changes along the way, but the things that haven't changed is it is still very much a legacy project. Um, the audience is not very much larger probably, but it's somewhat larger. I was just doing it for family when it started out and it certainly has transcended that. And I'm appreciative. I'm probably a little bit puzzled by it to be truthful with you, but I'm, I'm appreciative of it. I listen, I listen to podcasts. I'm going to make a true confession. I used to listen to a lot more podcasts probably 10 years ago than I do now. Um, but I don't know. I just, this was never a medium for me that I looked at as, okay, this is going to be the end all be all and boy, we're going to figure out a way to monetize this and it'll be big. And I, I just, I never did. I never did go down that road mentally. Good, good thing. Cause it didn't happen. Uh, but that was really never the intent. Uh, I hear people all the time who talk about podcasting and wanting you know, they want to monetize their podcast before they even have a podcast. And I'm certainly not going to throw rocks at that. It's just not the way I chose to roll. And as I sit here today, I own three podcasts and I participate in a fourth, uh, which I'm slowly started saying pulling away from that that doesn't that's not the right connotation i'm not pulling away from him i'm just i'm just a bad partner in in the fourth one and i got in touch with the host and i'm a co-host and said you know this is i'm i'm not doing you justice at all i'm i got too many other irons in the fire and um but i've got i've got three and i'm i'm still fully committed to the three that I've got, and they're all very different. Uh, there's this podcast, which is kind of its own unique thing. And then I do one kind of for the day job, uh, the coaching consulting job that you can find over at growgreat.com. I rebranded it over the summer to high impact influence. Yep. You can also go to high impact and get there. 
but grow great is easier to remember. And I redubbed it that because that really is the whole point of it all. It really is a leadership podcast. And by the way, I define leadership as influence and doing for others what they may be unable to do for themselves. And then the third one that I do is this hyper-local podcast. As I hit the record button today, we are under 150 days old, which is still very, very young. And you can find it at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com or HSV, which is short for Hot Springs Village, hsvinsideout.com. It's about Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, this place in central Arkansas that I absolutely been smitten with since the fall of 2018 which seems like forever ago but only three years so those are the three podcasts and I, I, I still love the medium and I speak with people quite regularly about the medium and what maybe the medium can do for them in their business or their organization or their enterprise and it's not for everybody but for those of us that love it and that do it, and hopefully we do it well enough that it provides some value. Uh, my three podcasts are all very different, and yet stylistically, I don't suppose they're different at all. I don't really struggle. Do you struggle with trying to be something or somebody that you're not? Um, listen, I think we all suffer some degree of compar- comparisonitis. We look at other people. We judge ourselves based on them. I did read something today, or maybe it was a social media meme. I can't recall, but I, I remember I saw it today. It was, you know, the, you're not made, you're not made more uh, successful necessary. Or I think it was confident. You're not made more confident by hanging around confident people. You're made more confident by being more prepared. I would agree with that, and I would also agree that while birds of a feather flock together and all that, and there certainly is truth to that, and there's little question because, well, the Bible bears it out, that who we choose to surround ourselves with matters, the friends that we have matter, because we tend to be influenced by the people that are around us, and if we are around better people, if we are around fill-in-the-blank kind of people, we are more likely to become like those people. Jim Rohn and others have made observations about us being the sum total of the people that mostly surround us. And there's little, little doubt, little doubt that that is true. And I suppose it's true on a number of fronts, none of the least of which is influence leadership. And I think it is also true based on the way it impacts how we view the world and how we view ourselves in the world. I grew up largely upper middle class. Does upper middle class still exist? I don't know. I mean, does middle class exist? I was driving from one part of town to another part of town and on the way was going through a, a, well, we'll just call it a less than stellar part of town. And was noticing the, just the difference, just the difference in the kind of cars that you see. And, and it dawned on me, and this wasn't some epiphany. I am a man just in search of an epiphany. I don't know that this was one, uh, but it dawned on me that 
this is a section of town where you are, you're not just going to see commonly high-end automobiles, for instance. Where you live, do you, do you commonly see really high-end automobiles? And I don't mean exotics. I don't mean like Lamborghinis and things. I mean things like Teslas and Mercedes and BMWs and you know higher-end luxury cars. Do you see those every day? And you seen those every day. And, and if, if you're blessed enough, if you're talented enough, if you're lucky enough that you're an owner of such vehicles, then Hey, good for you. But do you wonder how that daily engagement for lack of a better word with that stuff, your, your daily exposure to that stuff, how that impacts how you feel about yourself and where you fit in the world. I was listening to, I, well, I started to say her name, but I won't for fear that I've got it wrong. Uh, she's an author and I, I have read her stuff and followed her stuff and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm a fan. I think it was her, but I'm not positive. So I won't mention the name, but a, a famous author speaker, I believe had made some comment of, of living in an upscale area, but being woefully in debt. I mean, woefully in debt, horrifically in debt. And yet everywhere you go, you're seeing people who are living this life that, well, you're, you're living in their midst, but you know, things they don't, and perhaps they know things you don't, right? I mean, how, how can you tell that they're not living in debt like you, but she was observing that impact of just kind of knowing that she was a fraud because she had this financial condition that wasn't abundantly clear, wasn't so obvious borrowing money from family members and others to just try to make ends meet, right? Hanging on to this lifestyle. And so the surroundings were having this impact. Right. I mean, you view yourself in the world compared to this, these surroundings that you're in. And it's like, okay, well this, I don't, I don't fit here, but, but I want to fit here. So, and then as I'm in this other part of town, this less than stellar part of town, as I, as I call it, I'm wondering, okay, I know they've got their head trash and I'm not, I'm certainly not viewing myself as better than them. That's not it at all. I am, I've been more fortunate I have been luckier. I've been whatever, but, um, there's something kind of nice about it. You know, I mean, there's something kind of nice about perfectly fine cars, but you know, they're, they're more the kind of cars that I drive anyway. And just not seeing these other, you know, I don't know. Is there, is there a downside to that? Is there a downside? Is there an aspirational downside? Does that ever dawn on you? That if that people live in this area and, you know, it's kind of like we've all heard this adage, you know, of, of, of the leveling of, of the water mark and a high tide raises all boats, but what about a low tide? So what if all the boats are kind of at low tide, then is there any expectation for a higher tide? I mean, if everybody's driving around and, you know, kind of clunker cars, then does that have some 
oppressive or suppressive psychological impact. I don't know. I'm sure somebody has studied these things. But I was thinking about that as I drove through this. On one hand, I was thinking kind of nice, kind of nice. Come on, even poor folks can put on pretenses. But it was kind of nice just from a cursory view. But then I was thinking, yeah, but is that is that setting an expectation that None of us are ever going to drive a Tesla. None of us are ever going to drive, you know, anything nicer than the the beater that we've got. I don't know. I know this, the human condition is universal and it doesn't matter whether you are on the high end of the spectrum or the low end of the spectrum. There is plenty of head trash at every area at every level. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I was having a conversation not long ago with somebody and we were talking about various irons in the fire irons in the fire are representing well for me representing complexity and i made the comment i just man i i'm looking to take irons out of the fire uh, the last thing i want now at this stage of my life is more complexity so i'm i am really i'm looking to simplify in fact so much so for the, about the last two weeks my wife has project has been the garage we've just like most people the garage you know you can get one car in there and the rest of it is basically a storage unit of boxes that haven't been gone through in years and years and years well she decided the the weather kind of cooled not much and she pulled all as much out into the driveway as she could we have thankfully we have a rear entry garage so the neighbors weren't going to send trucks to come and haul us away and so it wasn't visible from the street but we had all this stuff pulled out of the garage and i mean boxes that who knows probably hadn't been opened in 20 years probably hadn't been gone through in 20 years and going through all this stuff and i've hauled more stuff out to the curb to the trash to be hauled off and you can finally walk around in the garage it's amazing but she she made the quote it's got to be the quote of the year, the quote of 2021 for us anyway. She knows that I'm kind of a fan of minimalism. I don't practice it. You can kind of read a little bit about my fascination at my website, randycantrell.com. And here's the quote. And it serves, it serves as a great title for today's show. We have too many memories to be minimalist. Uh-huh. And that was after probably having gone through a hundred boxes of just stuff, stuff, just, I don't mean big stuff. I mean, papers and books and photographs and notebooks and cassette tapes and VHS tapes and just stuff, just, just stuff clutter clutter is what it is old old clutter i certainly do understand the hoarder the hoarder's emotional tie to stuff i can't imagine anybody who can't understand it now i don't understand it to the degree that someone who suffers that hoarder mentality i i don't understand the depths of of that connectivity but 
I do understand the connectivity because you start looking through some of this stuff and you haven't seen this stuff in years and years and years, but I can look at it and you're just immediately transported in time. It's, it's kind of amazing. And do you want to let go of that? I don't have a big, big problem letting go of that. Now photographs, I just don't see any point in letting go photographs. I mean, come on a photograph of, I'm talking about a physical photograph. These, these don't take up that much, that much space books. Yeah. I still, man, I struggle. I, I struggle getting rid of books. Um, we've got a, a, a used bookstore chain here in the DFW area. And, and of course it's a great business model and I understand it. They have to make a profit and they, they give you virtually nothing for the book. And, and then they start out pretty much selling that book for half of its retail price. But you could take, I could take four boxes of books in there and be fortunate if they said, yeah, we'll give you five bucks. And you're like, well, there's 50 to a hundred books here. Yeah. We'll give you five bucks. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather just donate them. Frankly, I'd rather throw them away. That's how weird I am, but I have a hard time doing that. I have a hard time getting rid of books. Don't get rid of CDs either. Now books take up space and they weigh a lot. CDs don't take up. Well, they take up some space photographs. They don't take up enough space. So when I think of minimalism, I think of utility. I know people say, well, think about what brings you joy. Well, I just, I don't think in those terms, nothing wrong. If you do, I just don't, you know, for me, it's utility. Have I touched it? Have I touched it this week? How about this month? How about this year? How about in the last 12 months? And I tend to look at 12 months because of seasonality, right? I've got flannel shirts in the closet. Well, ask me in July, do you need those flannel shirts? No, but come November and December, I'm going to want them. So why throw them away? Cause come October, November, I'm going to be looking to buy some more. I want, why do that? So I think utility, then I think sentimental utility and sentimentality. Uh, those are really the two for me to tell you the truth. I mean, it's got some sentimental value. And so I may not have touched it. I may not have looked at it in a week, a month or a year, but I don't want to get rid of it because it's got sentimental value. And really I don't, that, that's pretty much it for me. I, I don't, I, I could look at everything I own and put it in one of those categories and it's either going to fit or it's not going to fit. And I'm at a point in my life where if it doesn't fit utility and it doesn't fit sentimentality out with it, out with it. I mean, what do I need it for? So I'm looking at the contents of these boxes that I haven't looked at in 20 years. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm hanging on to things that, okay, they don't have you. They haven't had utility, but for instance, I've got, there's one box and it's got a number of cassettes of 
information that I would tell you is probably largely evergreen. I mean, some of these were cassette programs by Tom Peters, for instance. Okay, well, they're in a cassette form. Okay, well, I've got a little cassette player, and I've got a little device that's got that going into my computer. The very same technology I'm using to record this podcast, I can take those cassettes and I can hit play. Now, I have to do it in real time. That's the drag of it. So if it's a 30-minute cassette, then it's going to take me 30 minutes to record it into a, as an MP3. But it's a box, and I'm not talking about a piano case size box. I'm talking about kind of a normal box box. So we're not talking about something that's going to take up an inordinate amount of space. And I'm like, okay, well, let me try to rip those, meaning let me try to record those and convert those cassettes into MP3s. And then I don't, I mean, what do I need the cassette for? I've got it in a digital form. I could conceivably go and find it in a digital format and I might. And if I go and I look and I say, well, okay, I could, I could either buy the MP3s, I could download the MP3s, or maybe I could buy a, a DVD or a CD and maybe I could buy that on eBay or maybe I could buy it used and okay, then what's my time? Yeah, I could do all that. I could do all the mental gymnastics about all that and figure out, okay, does it have a high enough utility that I would record those cassettes into MP3s? And if it doesn't, then I can make a decision. But until I'm, until I make that decision, I really, I don't want to pitch them. Not yet. I may. So again, the whole utility thing is in play. Some of the other stuff, notes, letters, photographs, those, those hit the mark in being sentimental, sentimentally value. So yeah, the answer is yes. Hang on to those. And again, these are not, these aren't big, big boxes of stuff either. Now the books, like I said, the books are the, that's the tough one for me. They take up space. They're heavy. Man, I just, and there's both a utility and a sentimentality to, to books. I've, I've told you before, I'm surrounded here in the yellow studio by books. And as I look at books, I can see, I know where books are on a shelf. It's amazing how this works. I can go looking for a book and unless I've loaned it out and I've, I've done quite a bit of that in the last year or two. And I know I don't get most of them back. Um, I need to stop doing it, but I'll go to where I know the book is. And more often than not, that's where it will be. And the reason I know that is because I'm, I'm sitting here staring at these binds of these spines of books and just seeing the title I can just look at the title and, and I've read them all and I can remember, I can remember reading it and I can remember thinking, I think, I think this may be in that book. And if I'm curious enough, I may dig the book out. I may pull it off the shelf and, and go look for this thing that I may have remembered more often than not. I would tell you that the vast majority of books I, I read, they go on a shelf and I don't ever pull them back off shelf but just seeing them there there's there's a comfort to just knowing that they're there and remembering when i when i bought it or when i read it 
and something about it. I've likened it to a muse. I, 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 not that I would know what a muse is, but well, I know by definition what a muse is, but they do kind of serve as a muse for me. There's just, there's something comforting. It's not joy. It's more comfort. Just they're there. I know they're there. I know they're there. I know I read it. I know kind of sort of what I remember what it's about. And I can feel that way about a book. That's not even that great of a book. So there is something tactile about a book that I rather enjoy. So there's that. I told you it was going to be free form. It is free form. So we're, uh, we're thinning the herd, the herd of stuff. You thinning the herd. Have you thinned the herd? Or are you right in the big middle of the herd? As we get older, and people, come on, you just accumulate more stuff. But man, we are, yeah, we're to the point where, yeah, okay, we need to, we need less stuff. And I feel that way about furniture too. So it's not just what you think of as your everyday kind of possessions and, and stuff, stuff. It's, it's big stuff too. It's, it's furniture. And it's not that I'm in love or out of love with any particular kind of furniture, but I'm like, you know, again, utility. I think utility and I think sentimentality. We do have some furniture that it has some sentimental value. It, to be truthful, at this stage of my life, it had more sentimental value 20 years ago than it does now. You would think it would increase over time, and for me, some of that has decreased over time. Uh, so I'm really getting, I'm almost a hundred percent, not quite, but I'm, I'm 90% about just high utility when it comes to furniture. I know people that are way more into, you know, the whole, I don't know, the, the whole aesthetic. I so don't care. I so don't care about the aesthetic. It's not that I don't want it to look good, but is it? Is it highly functional? Is it highly useful? Give me that. Give me that. You know, I'll, I'll take that all day long. I was thinking the other day about decor, talking with some people who were building houses and whatnot and outfitting houses. And somebody asked me about, you know, favorite colors and kinds of things. And of course I have to describe the yellow studio. And I said, well, I, you know, the yellow studio is an exception because my walls are mustard yellow and I love them. I love them. But if left to my own devices, I would probably lean toward earth tones. I'm not a big pattern person when it comes to interior decor. You know, I watch some of these shows on HGTV and I mean, some of the backsplashes and some of the tile work in the bathrooms, I'm like, Ugh, a little much, a little much for me. And, and even sometimes tile on the floor, I'm, I'm more, yeah, I'm, I'm way more bland. Give me bland. <laughs> well, I don't want the room to be bland, but I, I would rather, I would rather that stuff. And again, it goes back to utility. It almost always does, by the way, for me, if the walls were painted and the floor and other stuff was, was solid earth tones, then why can't you use other things to be 
kind of the highlight things and those things not be construction oriented. For instance, suppose the walls were done. We've got our entryway. I would describe the walls as kind of a really pale celery kind of a green, very pale, very pastel and, and super nice looks, looks nice, feels nice, solid color. And people could say, well, yeah, but that's boring. Okay. But, but to paint a room or to paint a section of a room is, is cost and labor. It's, it's just, it takes time. It takes labor. It takes material. I, why not use decoration? Why not use something you hang on the wall, something that you, you put on a table to kind of bring some pop to the space. Is that an idiotic idea? It's just how my brain works. I watch some of these shows and and they're like, okay, well, listen, we, we, we need some pop in this room. So what we're going to do is we're going to tear this out. We're going to do, and I'm like, you know, if, if it involves construction cost and effort, I, I don't, that seems so low utility to me. Why not just paint the wall some rather neutral color and now, you know, go, go find a, go find a lamp, go find a something to hang on a wall. I mean, something that will, that will pop that you could easily change out if you got bored with it. I think the same thing about flooring. I'm a huge, huge fan of luxury vinyl flooring. I, I mean, what's not to be a fan of? It walks good. It looks good. It's virtually indestructible. It's not insanely expensive. And people are like, well, you know, we want this floor and we want that floor. And I'm like, you know, if it were left up to me, I would have a house that had LVT, the same LVT everywhere, the same luxury vinyl floor everywhere throughout the whole place bathrooms laundry room kitchen the whole schmear now you want some pop this is how my brain works this is high utility you know what we could do we could go spend some money on some rugs and we can put a rug down and now you want to change the room two years later you get bored Roll that bad boy up, sell it, go buy a different one that looks completely different. We hadn't had to buy any paint. We hadn't had to hire a contractor. High utility. I don't know why we don't do it. I also get fascinated. I've been, I've been long, long fascinated with home construction technology or lack thereof. And I follow some guys on YouTube and have for a long, long time. And some of these cats are, I mean, they are over the top. I mean, it is, you know, green building. I'm talking about green certifications and just extraordinarily expensive. And I'm sitting here looking at what is largely untouched technology and thinking, I don't, you know, why do we do, why do we do what we do the way we do it? There's, you telling me that we can't build a house using today's technology without breaking the bank and that we can't build a, a, a tighter envelope 
in a house, a more energy efficient house, a house that will not have hot spots and cold spots. We certainly have got the window technology. We've got the building technology. I just don't know why it's all got to be high end. I still, if you take Rhonda and me, so you take a couple of people as we're getting older, long time empty nesters, and we live in about a third the house that we currently have. If we had the house, if we had a house that was designed the way we live, 12, 1400 square feet would catch it easy. And that would be with a guest bedroom just in case you needed it. Um, and I look at that and I think, I don't I, well, the conversation that started this was another one some time ago about the houses that our grandparents had and the houses that we grew up in largely. And I say we meaning baby boomers because I am one. I'm living in a house today that's bigger than any house I grew up in. I'm living in a house today that my well-to-do grandparents, they, they never lived in a house as big. And I'm not in a big, big house, mind you. I'm not, this is not, this is a house that is under 3,000 square feet, but it's plenty big. But I look back at the houses that, that we lived in and that our families lived in, and I mean, they were not, they were not nearly as big as we've got now. And we don't, they're not big enough for all of our stuff. They're big enough for us. They're big enough for the people inside them. They're just not big enough to hold all our, all our junk. Uh-huh. I mean, look at the self-storage business. It's, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar enterprise. I, I know people that have, I know people that have three, four, five, six storage units and have had for a long time paying a monthly amount to store stuff that I doubt they even know what's in them anymore. So I'm thinking about this and thinking about home construction. I'm like, I I don't know why it seems to me. And, and I get that it's probably, no, it's not probably, it is a market, a market problem. You probably couldn't, could you sell them? Man, I would sure think so. Uh, Would everybody and their dog want it? Yeah, probably not. We want 4,000 square foot houses with zero lot lines that I, I still don't understand that. I happen to be in a good size house in a nice older established neighborhood, big yards, big trees. Um, and you know, we want this big behemoth two story monster. That's four or 5,000 square feet. And you can raise a window and reach out and touch your neighbor's house. And it's got a little patio on the back. And if you had a weed eater, okay, you can take care of the whole yard. <laughs> I don't under I don't understand that at all. I just I don't there's nothing about that that makes sense to me. But I think what if, what if somebody could build a a thousand to fifteen hundred square foot house with great technology, and I don't mean I mean construction technology. I mean the ability to build a house that is built well, uh, that is reasonably airtight, uh, that is well insulated, 
uh, that will maintain, hold and maintain temperatures and be comfortable and have perfectly nice appointments, okay, maybe doesn't have exotic hardwood floors, but LVT that looks dynamite and will last and it walks barefooted, it walks perfectly well uh, and is low maintenance. Um, man, I just think there's a market for that, but I could be wrong. I'm not in that business. I would think that a thousand to 1500 square foot house that had some semblance of a yard. If you had kiddos, um, I, okay. I get if you're a family of five or six or eight, no, not going to be big enough, but if you're a family of three or two or one, or maybe even four, yeah, I just, I look at all the space that we occupy and I'm not thinking from a green perspective. I don't judge you if you are, but I'm not thinking about that. And I'm not thinking about, uh, conservation kudos. If you are, I'm just thinking from sheer practicality and simplicity of living and low maintenance and low energy bills and high efficiency in that regard. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I watch some of these videos of these really high tech architects and home contractors. And these are, you know, these are really expensive houses, really expensive houses, everything top notch. And you think, I just, there's gotta be a market for ordinary folks. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe somebody's out there doing it and I just haven't discovered them. I also get fascinated with not tiny houses, but smaller houses. And what I've just described is a smaller house. Uh, I mean, a thousand to fifteen hundred square feet. I'm still fascinated why here in a in a city the size of Dallas Fort Worth, that some developer hasn't begun an entire subdivision and built houses that on average are 14, 1500 square feet. And so you're in a neighborhood and everybody is, everybody's in, in that kind of a square footage. And I saw today a, a, I think the house was built in 2013. It was a cottage. They called it a cottage. It was 800 square feet. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Um, and I've seen some smaller houses that aesthetically, Curb appeal, super, super good looking. And then interiors, really nice, really nice. Okay, granite or quartz countertops, yeah, in some cases, but in some cases not. Engineered hardwood, exotic stone tile, yeah, in some cases, but in many cases not. Yeah, I've seen them with, you know, 30,000 dollar wolf ranges and others that a perfectly nice, you know, whirlpool stovetop range utility. There's the point. I, I just keep thinking about utility, high utility, high utility and high sentimental value as well. And if I can get both man, bingo, I've, I've, I've hit bingo. So what's on your mind? 
what kind of high utility you got going on or do you have any utility going on it's amazing how many people are running into and it's just like man just groundhog day and initially i thought well okay maybe this is a pandemic thing but i really don't think so i think it's just the way i think it's the way a lot of us are living we're just putting one foot in front of the other right i mean it's just and that's the I don't want to end on a bad note, but this isn't a bad note. This is just kind of a realistic note. And I, I do want to end on a high note and I will, you know, me, the whole groundhog day thing, the whole one foot in front of the other kind of a thing. You do know that you can change that. Don't you? Right. I mean, you know that you don't have to look at it that way, right? You can do something about this. Sure. You can. You may not know how listen, as a person that coaches other people professionally, I can tell you that sometimes it's valuable to let the client remain stuck. I've got them. I've got, I've got a client I'm thinking of right now that is stuck. And as, as, as much as it can anguish me, it's not my life, right? I mean, we can all do what we want to do and there can be value in being stuck. Is there value in remaining stuck eh, for a period of time? Maybe, maybe I wouldn't suggest it as a way of life. And there's an awful lot of people that I seem to run into who feel like they're just, I'm just, you know, I'm putting one foot in front of the other and next week I'm going to put another foot in front of the other and just keep on doing the same thing. And you realize, okay, life's happening, right? You, you get this right relationships there. I mean, you've got these relationships there. I mean, you're nourishing any of these things. Are you fostering? I mean, what, where are you at with these things? And if you got kids, well, uh, the, you know, the kids aren't stuck, right? You know, the kids are growing, you know, they're going to get out of this grade that they're in this year. And next year they're going to be in a different grade. You, you get that, right? You get that. The, some of the things that they're struggling with to know today, they'll master that. And then a year or two from now, that won't be what they're challenged with. They'll be challenged with something different. You get that, right? But, but you, you're, you're just going to be stationary. Yeah. How's that going to work out? That may not work out as well as you think it will. <laughs> and usually people will respond. Well, they're not thinking about it. They're just, I'm just trying to get by. And it's like, yeah, that's bad strategy. Really? I mean, I would really, it's your life. I would really encourage you though, to rethink that. If you're just trying to get by, I get it. I'm not throwing cold water on it if it means today but i don't know about ending today full well knowing that you know what i'm gonna do tomorrow just gonna try to get by and then you know what i'm gonna do the day after tomorrow I'm just gonna try to get by not not probably not the most productive philosophy to have for a whole way of living but i guess people can view that and say well that's that's high utility. It's high utility. I'm just trying to survive. Really? I mean, 
I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about some movie about the West. It was sparked because of this horrific accident that happened with this prop gun that killed this poor cinematographer, um, this Alec Baldwin thing, which was, is evidently a movie about the old West. And they were talking about the old West and how hard, just how hard life was. I mean, how hard that we, we can't likely imagine the difficulty of life. Give me a break. I, we can't hardly imagine the difficulty of life in the forties and fifties. <laughs> Uh, in post-World War II America, when things were largely booming, especially at the end of the war, um, much less to go back to colonial days, Old West days, pre-post-Civil War America days. Yeah, pretty hard to imagine how difficult life was. But again, there's the theme of the show, I guess. High utility, high utility. I'm, I'm so thankful that I haven't had to traipse across the country to try to find land that I could grow crops and chop down a bunch of trees and try to build my bride a house as opposed to a tent. I mean, she absolutely would have discovered very quickly. I have married the wrong man. This man can no more take care of me than anything. <laughs> I, I could chop down a tree, but uh, yeah, you look back and it's like, man, look at this. You go back and look at some of the old colonial houses. If you've done any traveling around the country, uh, these log houses and stuff, and you're like, man, you know, and you look at the wallpaper and the stuff that they put on the walls to try to keep the wind from whipping through the logs. And you're like, man, man, look at how, how rough they lived. And I'm thinking, yeah, if you, if, if I had to, if I built one, if I built one of those a hundred years ago and somebody was looking at it, they'd go, well, this poor guy, he had no clue how to build these things. <laughs> yeah. First winter would have killed us. Well, no, it wouldn't have. Cause I'm going to tell you straight out of the gate. I, I'd have, I'd have been in a climate that of course, if you go to a climate that isn't cold as kraut, then that means you're probably going to be in one that's either completely arid, which means you're probably going to die cause there's no water, or you're going to be somewhere where there's an abundance of water and rain. And so you're going to wash away. So I'll take. I'll take 2021, Alex. Thank you very much. I'll take 2021 for $1,000 all day long. Helps when you play upbeat music, right, to end the show? Please tell me it does. It better because I'm playing it anyway. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Today's been kind of a rambling mess, but I don't know. Maybe you got something out of it. Maybe it provoked some thought. At best, maybe it provoked you to a 
approach your life with higher utility and or sentimentality. I started out by talking about the voices on my voicemail. Speaking of sentimental, the voices of people that I started to say that I once loved, but I still love them. They're just not here. They're not where I'm at now. I'm a super sentimental person, are you? I'm also high utility. Well, better said, I value high utility. I need to be more high utility. So there's that. Leaning toward wisdom is modern tales of an ancient pursuit. I don't suppose it's ever going to change. The thing about wisdom is it's a constant journey. You never do get there. I think it's appropriate for us to take aim. As we look out at the vast horizon and we cast our eyes to the west and we see, yeah, I need to head there. I need to get there. I need to be wiser. I need to not just know it, but I really need to do it. Because there's the value. Well, like Rhonda cleaning out the garage. You can talk about it till the cows come home, but only when you back your ears and you start going through all the boxes and you get rid of it. And all of a sudden, you know what? we work hard we might could get both cars in the garage my name is randy Cantrell. the website is leaning toward wisdom.com greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio <laughs>